uh, being able to uh, have them, that was really cool. You know, they want to come support us in person more or less than watching us on TV. So I, I, I just appreciate them for coming out here and uh, uh, letting us go out there and glorify God, you know? I've done this long enough. Every year is different. There's no team that has the same DNA, same leadership, same hunger, desire, passion. Yeah, it was great 2020. I got the ring. I got the picture. I got it all. I got it. I will have it framed. Top 20 in the nation. That's awesome. But you know what? It's time to run to the roar of 2021. It's here. It's a different week, Malik. It's a different week, Malik. For we can. For we, we can. can do all things. For all things. Through Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus. He strengthens us. He strengthens us. Each and every day. Each and every day. And may God. And may God. Play for the play. Hey guys, it is episode two of this seventh season of the A Sea of Red podcast. My name is Chad Hassan, and uh, I am joined by host of this podcast, co-host of the podcast, founder, creator, all things A Sea of Red, John Manson. John, it's one, we're 1-0 one and, and uh, headed into a, a tough game here on the road against Troy. Um, how are you feeling? It's always good to to be one and no wake up on a Sunday morning and and get that win in the win column and of course when you're playing an FCS team and you're a top twenty five or a fringe top twenty five FBS team like Liberty is, um, you know, no team plays a perfect game. You want to win sixty to nothing, but that doesn't happen. But all in all, for the first game, I think the team uh, played fairly well. The offense. Uh, except for, you know, what, two or three drives there in the second quarter. They were very efficient, uh, even though they had a vanilla offensive game plan, in my opinion. The defense played very well, gave up less than 100 yards in the second half, Um, you know, only gave up that one, you know, 35 to 40-yard touchdown pass there in the second quarter uh, when when the Camels were operating on a a short field. Uh, Defensive line didn't get a lot of pressure. Uh, I kind of touched on this in my uh, Saturday takeaways column on Sunday afternoon. I think that was part of the game plan for Liberty is to, um, you know, kind of keep Hodge Malik Williams, Campbell's quarterback, excuse me, uh, in the pocket. He's a scrambling guy, likes to get out and extend plays with his feet. And I think they just wanted to contain him within the pocket rather than to uh, force the issue with uh, pressure. So, uh, all in all, it was, a, it was a good week one, and uh, things definitely go to another level this week with Troy. Yeah, that's kind of how I'm feeling, John. My overwhelming thought was um, I looked at some of the seasons that were potentially ruined this week. You look at Washington, who was top 20, lost to, a, I believe, an FCS team. I forget who they were playing, but it, it was not Yeah, good. they lost to Montana. Montana, that's right. Uh, Montana is a good FCS team, but still, so is Campbell this year. Um, you know, that was kind of disappointing. And then you have LSU kind of getting beat by UCLA. I thought that was great about, um, uh, I thought, did you see the Ed O'Dron video where he was telling the guy to bring his sissy blue shirt out onto the field? And then UCLA ended up beating LSU. So there's another top 25. I guess my overwhelming thought was it's good to be 1 0. It doesn't matter how we got here. I know people, you know, we'll always have things negative to say about and, and things to critique. That's just kind of what we do as fans is if it's not a perfect, you know, uh, 60 minutes, then we kind of can pick out some of those things. So I'll go ahead and say a few of those. I thought, like you said, the, the game plan was vanilla. So it's hard to kind of judge where we're at. We kind of gave the ball to Mac. and um, But the one thing I, I will say, the two things that I thought 
could be improved. It could be improved. Um, individual performances was the kicking game. Um, we gotta we gotta tighten up there. As we saw last year, three games came down to a field goal. Two of them went our way um, with the block and the two blocks, and then one went. I mean, I'm sorry, the made field goal at Virginia Tech, and the blocked field goal at Coastal Carolina went our way, and then NC State the blocked field goal. So it's just very important to have your field goal units in in lockstep and i'm not sure if it was procedural if it was bad kicks but um you know we got to get that cleaned up and then the second area is i thought mac kind of was being a little bit too patient um I, it just I look i have a really untrained eye to football sometimes but i felt like the offensive line was opening these wide holes immediately like as soon as the ball was snapped we were m moving people and uh i guess mac was kind of just being a little bit too patient trying to create something that wasn't there when he should have just hit the hole immediately i thought you saw that with shadro and tj green a little bit better they hit the hole immediately um i think mac will bounce back and have a great year i just think it was kind of a kind of just getting back in the rhythm of things also just playing um inferior competition like that uh, in a blowout you know it, it, is that is that going to be the case every week, especially this week at Troy? Are we going to be able to move those guys immediately? I don't think so. So, kind of a little maybe threw his timing off a little bit. But um, Max still ended up having a decent game. He ran for 60 yards on, you know, I believe 19 attempts or 18 attempts, something like that. So he he had a decent game. Um, but I think he'll get better. Those are the two areas I thought we could improve on. But again, we covered the spread, which means we played better than even Vegas thought we would. We got the win uh defense played great other than maybe one that one pass play where we kind of got beat it was a newer guy i think first year player that got beat deep um but other than that you know great great motivation by the coaching staff this team came out ready to play um the attendance was good all considering the circumstances fifteen thousand is good in williams stadium we'd be we'd be uh disappointed if it was 13 or 12 something like that 15 is not a bad number considering um and then, uh, yeah, we go into week two, one and oh, like I said, that's very important. And college football is so different that it can ruin your season. So glad to put a capstone on that, uh, um, put a capper on that win and be one and oh, headed into Troy. So, John, looking ahead to Troy, what concerns you the most? Why, why does ESPN Power Index, first of all, it's the most trash indicator of all time, but why does it have Troy 70% chance to win? And then also, why are we only favored by five points right now in most sports books? What is it about Troy that makes them so good and dangerous? We have Hugh Freeze. We have Malik Willis, Heisman candidate. We have, tw well, you know, 20, 20 of our 22 returning starters uh, from a top 17 team. Why are we not getting the respect? Or is it Troy that, that that's that good? No, I agree. I don't know why we care so much about the ESPN matchup predictor. And anything ESPN puts out, we're always so quick to to go and look at and judge and critique, but that matchup predictor is pretty much, as you mentioned, trash. Um, but yeah, they've got Troy at a 78% chance to win. I think if you asked anybody with half a brain in the college football world, they, they would just laugh at that number. Uh, I actually went back, you know, you and I talked about it a little bit on Sunday and looked at every single game and they've now got Liberty as the underdog in, was it six or seven? I think seven games now. Uh, seven of the final 11 games, which is kind of kind of crazy. But, um, you know, if Liberty ends up with seven losses this year, that, that would be quite the uh, underperformance, if you will. 
But um, no, I mean, Troy's a respectable, you know, Sunbelt program. They've traditionally been one of the better Sunbelt teams uh, in that conference. I know their last couple seasons they were down. But if you go back to 2018, uh, and we touched on this a little bit in the first podcast, when we um, when we played Troy, when they came up to Lynchburg, you know, we were I don't remember the line, but we were big time underdogs. We were talking about them. That might have been the week we did one of our. Uh, you know, John's list things. And we had Troy as the best team to ever play at Williams Stadium. So they're, they're a good uh, program. I know they had losing records each, each of the last two seasons under the new head coach, Chip Lindsey, who's in his third year. But, um, you know, they're, they, they are typically competing for a, a Sunbelt championship. They looked very good. Of course, they played Southern, another FCS program, but you don't know. It's hard to get a good read on some of those games. Um, you know, I haven't watched the game yet, so I don't know, you know, how vanilla their game plan was. I know they had four interceptions. Uh, they returned one for a, a, a score. They only gave up 2.8 or 2.9 yards per carry. So it looks like their defense may be the, their strength, um, which I actually think that's a good thing for Liberty. You know, I like I like to get tested and you know that, you know, Freeze is going to open up the game plan. Malik is more than likely going to have more than five carries in this game. He's not going to be content to just sit back there and wait and let the plays develop. He's going to be ready to make plays with his uh, feet. Uh, but I think this is a good test. I mean, I think, you know, I think five, six points is probably about what I expected after the first two scores of the teams, uh, Liberty and Troy, uh, week one opponents. So the line's about where I expected. I, you know, Liberty's still, you know, they only got that one year of, of you know, next level success, if you want to call it that, where the, you know, from last season. And I think some people are still – you know, even in Vegas or whoever does ESPN's matchup predictors, still trying to figure out, you know, is this team legit? Was last year an anomaly? You know, uh, we know Malik Willis is good, but can he lift the rest of this team who just two years ago was primarily FCS players to be a consistent top 25 team throughout the entire year? And uh, I think Saturday is a great test for Liberty. And, and we'll see, uh, you know, if, if things go like we talked about it last week on the podcast, like I think this game is going to be a, a tight game. I look, you know, I compare it very similarly to the Western Kentucky la game last year. Going into that game, Liberty was a slight underdog. Uh, Western Kentucky was looked at to be one of the, the favorites in Conference USA, and they had a lot of returners back. Well, Troy's in the same situation, and Liberty went in there and pretty much controlled the tempo, controlled the, the game from start to finish, but it was still a close game. I think Liberty won by... 10, seven points, somewhere in that range. That's kind of my expectation going to this game against Troy. It's a good test. It's on the road. You know, Liberty hasn't gone up against, uh, you know, a road crowd, you know, with Malik Willis as quarterback. I mean, it hasn't, it hasn't happened, you know, with COVID last year. So uh, I'm looking forward to the test on Saturday and seeing how the team responds. Yeah, John, it's, they scored eight touchdowns and had four interceptions last week. And like you mentioned, uh, maybe two of those were taken back for a touchdown, something like that, maybe just one. But it was an impressive performance, but again, against an FCS team. Um, but, you know, that's kind of what they had to do. I am uh, being on the road. Um, you know, this is a little little bit of a test here, and, and we're only a five-point favorite. And I think that, um, you know, I think we have to play our best ball. You know what I'm interested to see? honestly, is if Malik Willis, when, when we start turning him to run more, that's the other thing I noticed about Saturday night. There was no chance they were letting Malik run. And if they did, uh, he was getting an earful on the sidelines, like, Hey, get down, get out. Don't, don't take any hits this game. Um, scrambling, extending plays. 
Um, but one thing I'm interested to see is early on last year, he had trouble carrying the football and he was fumbling. I remember the Virginia Tech game, he had some crucial fumbles inside the red zone. Um, so if Malik can take care of the ball, I mean, they had four interceptions. And then if so, if he has an interception and a fumble, we're going to have a real hard time winning that game. So hopefully Malik can take care of the ball. And I think he will. Um, that's the other thing. The last thing I want to get to, John, is Malik for Heisman. Um, we mentioned the night after the game about how Spencer Rattler out at o- OU, Oklahoma, and the quarterback at UNC both had pretty bad games by their standards. I, I mean, actually, they're by anybody's standards. Neither one of them had a great game. Um, you know, and then we have some other Heisman hopefuls who did okay, but Malik really come out of the gates hot week one. Um, what are your thoughts on Malik for Heisman? Would they ever give it to a independent G5 player, even if he his numbers are insane and we're ranked in the top 25? Yeah, I mean, I think they, they could uh, and they would if his numbers and Liberty's team performance was good enough. Um, but, but I mean, he has to be, I mean, Liberty has to go undefeated and be in the top 10. I don't think there's any way he's a serious contender for the Heisman without that. Now, if Liberty goes 11 and one with a, you know, one score loss at Ole Miss and is ranked in the top 15, I, he could be like a finalist or in the top five or so if he has some, you know, gaudy numbers, but for him to actually win it, I think Liberty would have to be undefeated uh, in the top 10, if not top five you know, getting a New Year's Six bowl game and for him to have just unreal numbers. Now, that doesn't mean that he shouldn't, um, you know, be be considered and, and Liberty fans and, you know, supporters shouldn't be pushing him and supporting him for in that endeavor. I mean, it, the more he's talked about, the better it is for Liberty this year and, and moving forward and the better it is for Malik and his, his uh, draft chances next season. So, um, you know, to answer your question, do I think that he could win the Heisman? I think there's a chance, but I think it's a very slight chance. That's why his odds are so, so far down, uh, you know, as far as in high in the Vegas Heisman odds right now, uh, you look at, you know, like Alabama's quarterback who had a really good game week one against Miami. I mean, if Alabama runs a table and he keeps putting up those type of numbers, I don't see any way that, you know, Malik's able to overtake him. Just, you know, from a team perspective, you, you got a lot of voters who won't vote for a, a quarterback from Liberty because they don't go up against uh, that SEC talent each and every week. Um, but I think he has a chance, I, you know, in order to actually win it, he's Liberty's got to go undefeated um, or at least be 11 and one at the minimum and ranked in the top 10 to 15 and him to just have, you know, unwor- you know, ungodly stats. Uh, I, I, I agree with you there. Um, actually, John, I, I'm going to spring one more on you here. Top 25. Um, we had some teams go down. So talk to me about the top 25. Where was Liberty before the game on Saturday? Um, what did we need to happen? And then when does the top 25 get announced? Is this top 25 the AP? How does it happen? Is it coaches poll um, or is it the AP coaches poll? How does the top 25 right now, if you were going to have that little number beside your name in ESPN, how does that work? And then where does Liberty stand right now? Uh, Yeah, I think um, this week, and I'm not exactly sure when this podcast will be uh, published. I'd assume by the time it's published, the top 25 is out. Uh, but I believe this week the top 25 is going to be released on Tuesday or it's normally released around noon Eastern time. 
Um, and it's Tuesday. Normally it's Sundays afternoons, but Tuesday this week, because you got a game on Sunday and a game on Monday night. Uh, so they're withholding it until after those games are played. Um, but, you know, Liberty entering the season, but that's for the AP top 25 I'm talking about as far as our timeline. I'm not sure what the coaches, I would assume they do the same thing with the coaches poll, but Liberty in, in that AP poll was uh, fourth amongst others receiving votes uh, in their preseason polls. So effectively 29th. Um, so Liberty would need uh, what four teams, you know, to jump over four teams and to not have anybody jump ahead of them. Um, which I, I, you got a, a few teams that lost. I mean, you look at Louisiana losing to Texas. They're ranked 23rd. I, I think Louisiana likely drops out. Washington, as we talked about, losing to, to Montana. They were number 20. Uh, I think they could drop out. Indiana got beat pretty bad. They were number 17. They could uh, slip up and, and drop on out. Um, you know, maybe, maybe another team, maybe Miami. I don't know if they'll drop all the way out from 14, but could have. We could have another team or two fall. Um, I, I think, you know, Virginia Tech is likely to move in with the top 10 win over North Carolina. They won't, They didn't have any preseason uh, votes, so they maybe that's a big jump for them to make. Um, you know, but but that's, you know, what I'm looking. I, I think Liberty, you know, is probably going to be on the outside looking in, probably 26 to 27. Uh, somewhere along that line. Um, Ole Miss, who plays Monday night, um, we're recording Monday morning. Um, you know, they got a game Monday night against Louisville. They're, they're right now 27th, you know, second amongst others receiving votes. So if they have a, a good showing uh, tonight on national TV, they, they can probably slide in there and take one of those empty spots. But, you know, Liberty's right where they need to be. I mean, within, you know, if they keep winning, you know, by week, you know, maybe next this next week this time they're ranked. Uh, certainly by week three or week four, if they're three and oh, four and oh, uh, they'll, they'll slide on into the top 25. Yeah. I'm thinking if we win against Troy, I'm, I'm with you. I don't think we're in this week because of the uh, Virginia tech possibility, the Ole Miss possibility. And then some of the teams that lost, um, I'm not sure Indiana's going to fall all the way out with just one loss. Um, team like Washington, who was 20 lost to FCS school. Yeah. They're going to drop out, but we still had to jump over four teams. Um, and I don't think that that's likely this week. Um, if we beat Troy, a few of those others top 25s lose. I think that we are right there where we need to be and to be ranked top 25. Um, that is so important. We talked about it last year. That is so important. Whenever you play a game and you're on ESPN or any of the networks and you uh, have that little number beside your name, it just it just carries so much more weight. And then you're always talking about, oh, do we have any top 25 matchups this week? And then you have the scoreboard on most of the apps. Um, when you're looking for scores, you can sort by top 25. So our, our score would be um, displayed for everybody to see. It, it just it just being in the top 25 most of the season would be huge for this team. We didn't creep in until later last year. Um, so being in there and having that limelight for most of the season and letting everybody see how good Malik and Freeze and the team is um, would be would be incredible. Um, so you said you mentioned a little bit about the AP. What is the AP top 25? What is the coaches poll? How do they work? Sure. The AP is the Associated Press that's voted on by members of the, the media across the country. You have beat writers uh, from various teams across the country that cast their votes. And um, you know, obviously, the higher your rank, the more votes you get. And um, you know, then they release it typically on a Sunday afternoon. And the coaches poll is 
you know, just what you would think is the uh, collection of FBS level head coaches. Uh, Hugh Freeze has vote, voted on it. I think last year he was a voter. I'm not sure if he is this year or not. Um, so you have a lot of FBS coaches, head coaches, or, or members of their staff that vote for them uh, for the coaches top 25 poll. And that typically that, those two polls typically mirror each other pretty closely, uh, especially in the top you know 10 or so. Uh, normally you'll have different teams, you know, down in the 20 to 25 range, but um, but yeah, I agree with you. It, it's very critical to get into the top 25. Uh, I, I say critical. That's probably a too strong of a word, but it's it, it's very important. You know, like you mentioned, you know, your you know top 25 scores. You know, you got people do you know weekly columns around the country where they they feature all the top 25 games with a little preview. And you know, if Liberty's in the top 25, which you know I, I think and hope they will be here in another week or two, uh, as long as they keep winning. Um, you know, that's, that's huge for the program, huge for momentum, uh, more people talking about us, but literally being a top 25 program and having, um, you know, Hugh Freeze and Malik Willis kind of showcasing their talents and, and their abilities leading the way, uh, you'll, you'll just have, continue to have more and more eyeballs, uh, on the team. And I don't know if you noticed that, I know you're at the game Saturday uh, night, Chad, but you know, every time Malik Willis did something, if you just go and like search Twitter or other social media accounts, you know, there Malik Willis highlights are out there like as soon as he makes plays. So, so there's lots of these big social media accounts that are following him and following Liberty this season to, to get his uh, his uh, his name mentioned and get those likes and retweets and favorites and all that. Yeah, it was pretty cool to see. It was trending at some point that night. Um, I actually looked this morning and Malik was trending and it was some uh, Indian cricket player uh, that was named Malik. So I thought, wow, what did he do? You know, or what, what is, where is his name being talked about? But it was, uh, it wasn't, but Saturday night definitely was trending. It's a good thing for the program. John, it's a good place to be, man. Let's never take this for granted. Uh, being, you know, right here at the top, it's so unbelievable. We're a top 25 FBS program with one of the best head coaches and best quarterbacks in the nation, Heisman candidate. Uh, we got to say that every podcast, just, just to say it out loud is uh, kind of incredible. So fans are doing their part. We hope to see them against ODU on the 18th. Everybody come out. Uh, let's get 20,000 up in the stadium. ODU will travel much better than Campbell. Campbell sprinkled in maybe a hundred fans from what I could tell. Um, so there will be so, a couple of thousand um, from ODU on Saturday night, the 18th, but first take care of business down in at Troy and uh, we will be watching. John, you're going to the game, right? Yeah, I'll be heading down to Troy this weekend. Yep. Awesome, man. All right, have fun, and uh, we'll catch up to you next time. Thanks, John. This KR22 Hoops Update is brought to you by R.T. Rogers Oil Incorporated. Established as an SO agent in 1971 and currently owned and operated by a proud Liberty alumni and athletic supporter, Greg Rogers. R.T. Rogers Oil Incorporated has expanded to distribute energy products in six states. RTR keeps thousands of commercial and industrial customers on the move every day. Regardless of your fueling needs or location, we bring quality fuel, exceptional service, and leading expertise right to you. Flames Nation, this is Kyle Road with your weekly hoops update. It was so awesome uh, seeing you guys out in full effect at the football game last Saturday, rooting on the Flames. Um, I'm so excited for that, for basketball season and a, 
a full house at Liberty Arena. Uh, you're going to have a lot to root for this year. We got a great freshman class. Uh, Brody Peebles can really score it. Um, he's a great playmaker, great teammate. Joseph Van Zant, uh, probably going to pick up where Cuff left off. He's one of the best defenders I've ever played with, even as a freshman. Uh, DJ Moore can really play make as a point guard. He's tough. He's physical. Uh, super good guy. And then Bryson Spell adds a really good dynamic. And being 6'9", he can shoot it uh, and do a lot of things really well. So we got a really good mix of young and older guys this year. Uh, have a really tough schedule, too. So we're going to need you guys out in full effect at all of our home games and uh, rooting for us when we're on the road. Uh, this is Kyle Road with your weekly Hoops Update. Thanks for tuning in. All right, we have with us defensive coordinator, Coach Simons. And, uh, Coach, I thought I would let you and our listeners know I'm running somewhat of a daddy daycare over here today with a couple of sick kids working from home. So if you hear any nursery rhymes or screaming kids, don't panic. Don't panic. Stay in the moment. And uh, let's let's uh, get this W on this interview here. How about uh, how about that for some game day focus? And, uh, Coach, glad to have you. Thanks for taking some time to join us today. No worries, man. Glad to be here. So um, just wanted to get your impression of being back in Williams Stadium, uh, especially the defensive side of the ball. It feels like you guys feed off of the energy of the crowd much more than maybe the offense. Wanted to kind of get your take on that and uh, what you thought of just seeing 15,000 in the stands and uh, how, how does that motivate your team? And is that just a defensive side of the ball thing where you guys – like it loud. I know that the crowd kind of gets a little quiet when the offense has the ball. So yeah. What was it like to run out there, see those fans and then how did it impact the game? Yeah. I mean, obviously it was great for, for our kids to have, um, you know, such strong support in particular. I thought our student section, you know, I think we have one of the, one of the best student sections in the country at the group of five level, um, you know, hour before kickoff, just to see, um, just to see them rock. And I thought was, uh, was really cool for our kids. And, you know, I think, um, you know, as coaches, um, you know, I mean, selfishly as a coach last year, in some ways, uh, it was, it was advantageous for us probably not to, uh, to have fans in the stands at times, you know, it's a lot easier to play, uh, Virginia tech when there's 2000 people there. Um, so, um, you know, I really hadn't put a lot of thought into it, honestly. And, you know, you come out there and you just see the excitement that it obviously brings to, Brings to our guys because our, our guys want to win and they want to compete and they want to be, um, you know, do it at a high level regardless of the atmosphere. But obviously, um, you know, that gives them a little bit more energy. I think with the fans and with the noise factor and some of those things, um, you know, can also affect you as far as doing your job and being assignment sound. And I think uh, we probably saw some of that as well, too. But I think overall, just an awesome deal uh, for our guys to be able to have fans. Uh, cheering them on and, and see all the hard work that they've put into it, um, you know, and to get that to get that atmosphere on the first game in particular from our student section, I thought was really cool. Awesome, man. So I don't know if it's just me. I, I'd say that a lot of the fans and a lot of the listeners for CofRed.com, I'd say a lot of us have the same problem. We're kind of ball watchers. When the ball gets snapped, we're kind of like watching the ball and it's just a little bit of the quarterback drop back and then he goes to throw the ball or hands the ball off and then – then we're watching the ball, see if it's getting picked off or what happens in the air. And that's just kind of how we watch the game. As a coach, I know you guys have the all 22 film that you watch and all that. But during the game, 
first of all, what are you looking at? Or, oh, um, does it, um, does Harry play by play? You're like, oh, that we've got this defense called. I want to see how this guy blitzes or whatever. So does it very play by play? But then the second part of that is, can you give us some type of keys for our fans? Like, what should what you know? You you always you say assignment football or watch your keys or read your keys. Um, what are some keys you could give us to watch your defense play as fans in the stands or even on TV? Uh, should we watch a specific position first and then kind of move our eyes to a different position? Uh, how would you instruct us to be better fans and not just ball watchers? Yeah, I think to answer the first part of your question, you know, uh, on game day, uh, our our whole defensive staff has have assignments as far as who we're watching. Um, you know, so uh, Coach Curtis, myself, Coach Cantrell are in the box. Um, you know, Coach Cantrell charts. Um, the exact formation, the play, um, you know, him and Coach Hunley divide up the pass concepts based on uh, the side of the field. Coach Hunley's on one side of the field. Coach Kentrell, you know, sees the opposite side from him in a box. Um, you know, Coach Aldridge and I are watching the run game. I'm watching, um, really trying to watch the six guys in the core and then kind of move out from there. You know, and Coach Curtis is watching the safeties. Um, so we have it divided up, you know, where our staff has particular things we're watching. Um, to answer the second part of your question, you know, I think even as a coaching staff, um, at times we struggle to be ball watchers, you know. Um, as the coordinator, you're working to, you know, get the call in, you know, make sure, okay, are we lined up right? Okay, now the ball snap. Now what do I need to see? And, you know, see a little, see a lot. So, you know, I, I don't know you know, in layman's terms, a general fan without knowing the ins and outs uh, conceptually of what we do defensively, you know, how to really answer that. I mean, I think obviously it starts with you don't want to train your eyes to to be able to watch the box and then move back, um, you know, but, you know, without knowing the ins and outs of what we do from a coverage standpoint, blitz standpoint, I think it gets kind of kind of hard versus just, you know, enjoying and watching the game. And there is something to be said, too, I do think, for being able just to sit and, and, and enjoy and watch watch a game and not have to watch it as a coach watches it, you know. Um, there's times after the game where, you know, I'll put on another game late that night and you're sitting there watching what they do. And then after a while, I just kind of find myself sometimes watching it as a fan just because you you got you to shut it down sometimes mentally. So um, I don't have – have a great answer for the second part just because you know uh, without knowing the details I don't know how, how, how best to uh, to go about that no I think that's great watch the box and then move out a little bit if you're if you're wanting to watch the defense and focus on liberty on defense start with the box see how what kind of penetration we get see what, what kind of Russian rush we're putting on see how many guys are blitzing and then kind of move out from there and determine um, yeah I think that's a good good uh, good way to do it um, you know, it's that's more on the offensive side. We're kind of like just stuck watching Malik instead of seeing if our line is holding up or whatever. But yeah, that was, that was pretty cool. And you bring up a great point about watching it as a fan and just experiencing the game. So um, yeah, I'll ask, do you watch much? I know you said you sometimes cut it on, but what about the NFLs? So you don't have much going on other than former players, but you don't really, there's no scouting to be done. There's no, really, you're not picking up a ton of concepts per se uh, they do things a little bit differently sometimes with their personnel so do you are you able to watch games on Sunday um, or you know any NFL games and if so do you have a favorite team you like to pull for and and can you switch it off and just watch it as a fan 
No, not during the season, just because we're working so much. Um, you know, I'm I'm actually I'm from Dallas. I grew up I grew up a uh, my dad was my dad's from the Bay Area, so I grew up a Niners fan living in Texas, and so kind of became a Niners slash Cowboys fan, which was which was a uh, a little bit odd back in the in the '90s was the heyday of the rivalry. So, um, you know, I don't really, you know, I joke with these guys that I'm a Cowboys fan, but I'm really not. You know, I'm more like you said, fans of the guys that you've had an opportunity to coach, and you want to see them do well. You know, when they get their chance, whether that's a Jesse or Elijah or guys that you know we've coached in the past that are you know still have an opportunity to play. So, um, you know, in the off season, um, we'll do some different studies and try to look at some things NFL wise that maybe could fit what we do, um, you know, and break break down film and look at it that way. But during the season, there's not a lot of time for that. One's going to be another one. I think you're going to – it's going to be difficult to answer, but I want to add, I want to add curious myself is if I hear, I hear you guys talking a lot, not just you, but coaches around the country, and it's a lot – when you're talking defense, you're talking – you want to be fast. You want to be physical. You want to play assignment football. You want to uh, be able to keep your eyes disciplined. You want to be able to rally to the football, have all 11 tackling. All of those things are like obviously really good for your football team if you're doing all of those. But have you boiled any of that down to say, okay, if you had a certain amount of attributes you could kind of put into your team and say, all right, we are going to be the best at this one thing. It could be one of the things I just mentioned, or it could be something different that I'm completely off on. What is the one thing that you want the identity of your defense to be? Is it disciplined? Is it fast physical? Is it what, anything of there? Is there anything that's more important than the others? Or one thing that you'd like to have as your brand or identity uh, as, a, as a defensive unit? Well, I mean, I think you got to start with fast and physical and playing with unbelievable effort. Um, getting 11 hats to the ball, uh, being committed to, to um, you know, just philosophically uh, playing the game the right way. So I think you have to start first and foremost there. And then I think the second thing off of that, you know, within, um, you know, very uh, wide, you know, group of things, whether you say it's discipline and some of those other things, accountability. But, you know, I think just situational football is really important. Um just having a high football IQ for what's the down and distance, where are we on the field, um, you know, they're backed up, we're in the high red, we're in a shot situation, uh, waist down situation. Those are the things that I think are really hard to teach kids. And if you can get them to understand it, you know, that's why I think, you know, you know, if you said, hey, single out the, the smartest guy in your defense, without a doubt, it's Scruggs. Um, you know, he can run the whole show. You can show him a play one time in practice or he can see a clip and he's going to be communicating it on the field before we've even shown it to him once. Hey, this is coming. Watch this. Watch that. And just a guy with that high football IQ puts himself uh, in positions to to make plays and to, and to not hurt the, the unit. And so, um, you know, I think nowadays offenses like what we're about to play this week, the tempo is so fast. Part of that tempo is they want your guys to freeze up, to not be able to react, to just go out and play the next play. You know, and that's one of our deals. We say play the next play, but you know, we really want to play the next play with understanding of what's going on within the play and just not lining up and running a call. But, okay, it's um, second long. What's my mentality here? It's second one. Is this a waste down where they're going to take a shot and chunk it deep? And so, you know, being able to 
teach them that and, and, and guys being able to absorb that, I think is really, really important in particular with how offenses, offenses have evolved these days. So you mentioned Scruggs. I, I love watching him play and blitz and I, I particularly on blitz calls when he gets the chance. Uh, also, he is, uh, it just seems like he's everywhere on the field. There are games where you look at, if you look at the bottom of every pile, doesn't matter if he's assisting or making a solo tackle, he is there. Um, you know, I, I'm going to draw an NFL comparison. I want to see what you think of it and see if you have any others that you've kind of thought of. Um, I think he plays a lot like Troy Polamalu. What are your thoughts about that? And then do you have anybody that – can you just comment on him and his style of play and anybody he might maybe remind you of that you've coached before or that's currently in the NFL? Um, yeah, I, I would – I would. I mean, I, I can definitely see that comparison. I think the thing, you know, I, I don't know Polamalu. Obviously didn't have a chance to coach him or be around him. I think the thing that you just can't um, – understate with a guy like him is football IQ and intelligence. I, I've never coached one, um, you know, that had the, just the acumen, the IQ that could absorb stuff. I mean, he really is a coach on a field, uh, in so many ways. And, you know, it was just kind of a safety blanket for me where I feel like, man, you know, very rarely he's going to put us in a bad situation when he's on the field, you know, there are going to be situations that, Maybe we talk about once in a week and then we don't hit it and that guy's going to remember it, you know? And so I think that's what puts him in positions. You know, you see him fly around on the field. He's not the fastest guy. He's not the fastest safety we have, you know, um, rockets probably faster than him. Um, Quentin Reese, maybe he's faster than him. I mean, you know, he's really athletic and he's very physical, but he's always in there. I mean, he's a, he's a step ahead from a mental aspect and, um, really coachable, you know, um, I mean, just um, I, I can't say enough about him as far as as far as those attributes. Very cool. Yeah. Two more for you here, Coach. The first one is just about your experience as a defensive coordinator um, at this level. If, I know you guys during the season are just constant going and and scouting and game planning and all that stuff. You guys are so busy, and uh, I want to know. Freeze talks about giving his guys the opportunity to be there for their family and stuff like that. And not trying to make this super personal, but I do want fans to get a kind of a sense for the, our coaching staff and their ability to kind of do this at a very high level and do all of the preparation that it takes, but also to kind of put it in perspective that it's a job and they still have a family to raise. And I know you have some kids and just want to kind of get that, that kind of, is that how it is across the staff? And have you appreciated that? And, What's it been like to kind of come to this level? Is it more, a lot more preparation and work on your end than, than previous stops? No, I think the, the work is the same. It doesn't matter who you're playing. I mean, there's good offenses. There's, you know, um, I said this when I got here. I mean, I thought when we're in the Gulf South Conference, there were one or two offensive coordinators that, you know, I thought were really good and, and really put a lot of stress on you as a coordinator. And, um, so I think ball is ball. You got to prepare your kids, your staff has to prepare the same way. I think, um, you know, the first thing is, um, they can't be, you know, can't be understated enough. is just, you know, how, how special our wives are. Um, you know, there's, uh, you know, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of time where they're, they're, they're mom and dad throughout the day. You know, I mean, we've got, I've got four kids. Um, they're, you know, they're two in school right now, but 
last year, uh, last year and a half, my wife homeschooled, um, you know, all three of our kids while she was pregnant with a fourth and to be able to sit there homeschool and, you know, have the kids home all day and, you know, drive them to practice. And in the fall last year, um, my son was doing baseball. Um, trying to think of what my daughter does cheer and soccer, but, you know, it was like a sport every night it seemed like, and, um, you know, um, I think it slowed down for a while with COVID, but, you know, once we got back to going and, you know, just all the hats that they have to wear, um, you know, and I'm really blessed to have a, a really good one that, um, you know, has, has, has done it, you know, for, you know, almost 15 years now. So, um, you know, it's not easy when you're raising, you know, four kids all, you know, eight and younger. So, and, you know, that's, I mean, coach Aldridge has three kids. He's, uh, you know, has, um, I mean, uh, two kids, Braxton and, and Nora, that are, um, you know, the same age as um, my, my, my boys. And, you know, they're really close. She's a phenomenal wife, Coach Hunley, and his three kids. And so, you know, us, us three have been together. So that's really cool just because our kids have grown up together before here. And then, um, you know, Coach Burns has, has two little ones. Coach Curtis's daughters are, you know, a little bit older in, in um, you know, middle school now. But, you know, just being a coach's wife is not easy. And, you know, so I think first you got to talk about that and the job that our wives do. Um, you know, it is different. You know, I think every staff is different and it starts with the top. And, um, you know, family is really important to Coach Freeze. And, um, you know, we've got a job to do, but he also wants us to make sure, number one, we're, we're present in our households as much as possible. I think um, the COVID season actually really helped me. Um, you know, a lot. I think I worked the least amount of hours at the office in the fall last year than I ever have. Um, and it really proved to me because we could take stuff home. We could do stuff virtually. You know, we can we can watch the tape at home. And, um, you know, I thought it made us more efficient, got to bed earlier, more energized at practice. And so, so I think it's just time management and being efficient. You know, I can really get home, put my kids to bed and, you know, maybe have dinner with the family and then I can do work at the house and get stuff ready for the next day. And, you know, our support staff guys, our GAs and our QCs, it's harder on them because I might be scripting practice from the house and they're having to draw cards, you know, maybe up here still. So um, I think those guys will always have it harder and probably don't get enough credit for their role, you know, as much as the full-time coaches like Coach Cantrell is our quality control and um, he organizes everything for practice. There's no way we could get through a practice without him. I mean, he knows our whole defense in and out from practice scripts to schedule to, you know, getting cut ups. I mean, he just, you know, he, he does a lot of different things to game plan stuff. And then our two GAs, Coach Coach Vontrell, King Williams, and, uh, and Eric Ponio, who's, um, you know, an analyst GA role for us now. Um, those guys have a lot to do off the field. And and so I think, you know, you talk about being able to be present and be at home. I also think it's important to talk about those guys that put in a lot of the long hours at the office. Uh, so guys, do have an opportunity to get home and be around their families. Very cool. Last one for you. And I was at the game on Saturday, and the first thing I noticed was um, for the defense was the amount of substitutions coming on the defensive line. We all knew it was all strength. We are all excited to see some of these guys kind of show what they can do this year. You have some proven guys that can get to the quarterback and create havoc and and all that stuff, but it was kind of almost like the first thought I had was like a hockey substitution. It was like, all right, that was your two plays. That was your line. Here comes the whole, whole, whole another group. And they kind of worked in tandem like that. And, and you kind of sent guys off. So one, 
is that kind of um, obviously it's probably by design and you have a certain number of plays you're trying to get people and and kind of understand that but two it feels like this might be the first time that you have been able to put that type of talent in on a second or even third unit I noticed that in towards the end of the game we got some true freshmen in there that play in defensive tackle that were you know didn't miss a beat and kind of were putting more pressure on than maybe the first guys I don't know if that's because Campbell was getting a little tired, but just talk about the depth on the defensive line and how you plan to use that and and maybe how how nice of an asset that is to a football team. Yeah, I think we got a uh, we got a strong two deep. I think some of those young guys, you know, um, got a ways to go before they're really ready to play in games. But I think getting them out there in a game like that's really important. You know, um, it's a fine line as a coordinator because you balance. You know, we've had some times here where. Um, you know, like Monroe last year, you know, we should have shut Monroe out and that'd have been great, but you know, you got to get those guys in too. And, and, um, you know, we got to keep our guys healthy and that's the first job that we have. Once we get up in games, my job is to make sure, you know, we finish, try to finish the game outright, but also get the guys to the next game, you know? And so I think when you got an opportunity to play some of those young guys and see what they can do and, you know, they're going to learn, um, they're going to, you know, either they're going to get it and stick and be ready to help us this year or they're not. And it's going to take time. And that's what, you know, the great ones understand. Hey, I can't keep making mistakes. I've got to get it fixed if I want to get on the field. Um, you know, I do think we have more depth than we've had at, at linebacker and at D-line in particular. Um, safety as well. And so I think being able to be fresh throughout the course of a game, um, you know, is really important. I think, uh, you know, I think there were times where, you uh, you know, we were we were we were tired at the end of games because we had to play too many guys, too many snaps in years past, and and uh, you know, so in particular this game, you know, early in the game, I told her, you know, I told the guys in you know the linebacker room, we're rotating guys all game. I want fresh legs on this quarterback because we knew he was a he was a runner, and you know, I didn't want a tired guy that couldn't couldn't contain or stay in coverage or spy him on a scramble or whatever the situation was. So, you know fortunate that we, we've got some different body types in the linebacker room we got some different body types in the d-line room so we're able to roll some of those guys and and um you know um i thought i thought that uh you know that that, that definitely helped us throughout the course of the game coach i'm going to sneak one uh overtime question in here that i was just thinking about your game plan um is it with your personnel does personnel change based upon the team you're playing or is it kind of like all right these are our these are our ones these are our twos or does it kind of like kind of like these these guys run a triple option we want this type of personnel in um or is that how it works in defense and as a defensive coordinator in college football or am i kind of no you're right i mean we're gonna we're gonna match personnel with personnel as best we can um you know so yeah you're you're right on with that and then we're gonna evaluate how guys did the week before too um you know uh, we might have new starters this week than we than we did last week based on, um, you know, now it's not just production. You know, it's got to be – there's got to be a balance between production and assignment, um, you know, accountability. And so I've got to measure that. I measure that within how they played and how they compare with the other guy at their position. And um, we measure it with, with how they practice throughout the week, in particular on Tuesday. So, you know – I believe in competition Tuesday. If you come out and you don't, you don't have a good game in a previous game, then you don't play well. You don't practice well on Tuesday. You're probably not going to start that next week. And um, it doesn't mean we're not going to play in the same amount of snaps. But um, you know, I think you do match personnel, and then you create 
um, competition amongst each position, position group, which, which, you know, in terms yields accountability, hopefully. Awesome. Well, I just wanted to uh, say thanks for your time. I know you guys are super busy preparing for Troy, but also wanted to say just, you know, how much our, I mean, at a sea of red and just all of the fans that we interact with and talk to, uh, we love watching this defense play. You guys are doing an awesome job. Uh, keep up the good work. We're excited to have a defense on our uh, wearing the Liberty Flames, you know, logo and kind of cheering for it makes games much more fun. So you guys keep up the good work and uh, we're, we will be cheering and uh, following along best we can. So thanks a lot, coach. Week two of the Liberty Line is back and it's time to head on the road to Troy, Alabama, the home of the Troy Trojans from the Sunbelt Conference. Both Liberty and Troy are coming off week one wins for Liberty. It was a strong second half performance, giving them a 48-7 win at home against Campbell. For Troy, they're coming off an easy 55-3 win over Southern University, which featured junior quarterback Taylor Powell throwing for two touchdowns in his first game back on the field. And after two seasons, he started his career in Missouri. The total for Saturday's game, here we go, 61 points. I think Liberty will have no problems putting points up on the board over the Trojans. If you look at their last 12 games, they've given up points in bunches, especially in games where they lose. Currently, Liberty is a four and a half point favorite. Now, normally I would say be careful here because the home dog does bite at night. And that happens a lot. But I don't see that happening this week. It's Troy is just four for eight in their last 12 home games against the spread. So here are two plays. We like the over 61, and we like the Flames to cover the four and a half that they are giving up. For this week's Liberty Line, I'm Jared Brooks. If you need any audio editing, mixing, or sound design for your projects, reach out to our guy, Jonathan Luna. You can find him at Johnny underscore Moon, or you can visit his website, lunasound.design. 